Hello and welcome to Finance, Energy and Beyond, brought to you by Stanbrook Consulting, a specialist recruitment consultancy for the finance and energy markets. I'm your host Jack Hopper and in this episode I'm joined by Dave Stevens, Global Design Principal at Shell. Dave is an experienced design professional and talks us through his area of expertise and the importance of having design research in companies. He also talks about the importance of consistency and his journey so far. Enjoy. Welcome, Dave, and thank you for joining us on our podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. Great to see you again. Great to see you. So, uh, Dave, first of all, as an intro, just tell us who you are and, and what you do. So my name is David Stevens. I am currently a freelance design principal at Shell. And I've previously been a design director, um, head of design teams. Um, I've been a researcher over the years. Um, but ultimately, my role is to help businesses become more human centred in the way that they approach their work. And uh, Dave, you, you mentioned design there. I think a few of our listeners may not even know what design means or what research means. Can you just explain a little bit about what they are? Yeah, absolutely. So when you first hear design, you're probably thinking making things look pretty. Um, and that's not quite, <clears throat> you know, it's a bit of that, but it's not really what we talk about um, when we talk about design. It's more of an abbreviated term for human-centred design or user-centred design which came out of, I think it's uh, 1986, it was first coined uh, by a guy called Don Norman, um, who's written lots of books, um, including like the design of everyday things, emotional design, but he was widely credited um, along with a guy called Jakob Nielsen. Um, uh, so they had the, the Norman Nielsen group, or Nielsen Norman, I can't remember which way around it is now, um, for talking about the benefits of designing things for people um, with them in mind rather than simply kind of designing technology or solutions that work from a business perspective or you know we think there's an easy way to design things but or to, to create them or it's a simple solution but a lot of the time people don't understand what the problem is so with human-centered design it's much more about understanding the real problem really empathizing with people's needs doing lots of what we call divergent thinking so ideating coming up with lots of different divergent solutions to look past the obvious ones and then doing important things like prototyping and testing so that you essentially you de-risk um, what you're delivering out into the world. So um, if you think about any of the products that are out there in the world right now, um, the, the ones in your pocket, um, the new ski goggles that have come out from Apple, <laughs> <laughs> um, or anything that is both desirable and functional, um, has gone through a design process. Um, some people might be more comfortable with engineering. Um, it's a similar process there. So it's kind of the, you know, creating something new out of um, something that, you know, actually fulfills a problem um, and, you know, might might well include some extra layers of technology uh, that make things beautiful and easy to use along the way. So that's a long-winded version of it. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it's, it's a great explanation. Obviously, I've worked with you before, Dave, so I've got a bit of an understanding of, of design, uh, but it's great for our listeners just to know a little bit more about it. And and you're now working currently at, at Shell. Uh, yeah. What what sort of things is sort of like are you 
does, does the design principles come into? Is it looking at different products and services and how you help that end user? Yeah, so that I'm part of um, a very large team um, within the software engineering kind of part of Shell, um, but our team is called Experience Design. And the purpose of our team really is to effectively create uh, or you know design people's experience with energy. So um, it's not just about the end, it's not just about the consumer facing stuff, what we would call uh, kind of downstream. Um, so that that would include things like, um, you know, EV or electric vehicle charging points, um, mm. or even like the Shell Go app and things like that, like rewards and, and things like that. That's kind of the most consumer facing stuff that we look mm. at. Um, a lot of it is to do with the, is how the business works as well. We've got lots of internal users who need to keep things like, you know, energy sites safe. Um, so there's a lot of focus on safety um, and the systems that support that. There's also some really interesting stuff with drones. Um, and so um, being able to use drones to fly around a deep sea drill site and spot um, kind of uh, safety issues potentially. Um, but there's also a huge focus on um, on sustainability as well. So really trying to make sure that the business operates in a sustainable way and we try and get, you know, ever closer to a, a net zero position, uh, which is some way off, admittedly, but um, but yeah, we'll get there at some point. Um, but my role within Shell is actually not too dissimilar to what we worked on before, Jack, when we were at HSBC, um, and it's to build a design academy. And what that means essentially is to educate the business in what, uh, you know, human-centered design looks like and feels like, but it's also to level up the skills of the design team of about kind of like 150 people um, at the moment. Um, and it's not that they, they're, they're extremely talented folks, right? But, um, you know, we've got to constantly look to the future of what design yep. skills or what creativity skills and execution skills we need in the business so that we're constantly kind of outperforming our competitors. Mm. It's also really helpful because, um, you know, when you think about Shell or any other big energy company, people might not naturally think like designers are quite an empathetic bunch and uh, and quite kind of principled a lot of the time and so thinking about an energy giant or even a bank or something like that they might not they might not be the first port of call for the most talented designers out there so actually kind of having a, a skills framework that means you know we're leveling up those skills it becomes really attractive to people who are um, kind of budding designers um, and we've got kind of like quite a big pool of um not quite entry level, but certainly more junior folks on the spectrum at the moment, as well as some very senior experienced people. So we've got a big team out in India um, and the Netherlands, and the States, and obviously the UK as well. So it's a distributed workforce, but we're working on kind of, you know, making sure we've got those core skills really nailed um, and making it an attractive place to work. And all with uh, the customer in mind, right? And trying to design those products and services to have the customer at the heart of everything you design. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has absolutely has to be that. So it's um, mm. you're you're hundred percent right that the customer has to be at the forefront of what we're doing um, and mm. at the heart of key decisions. And I think one of the big things that we've got to get to is um, you know, m more more mature organisations out there in terms of a, a design or a customer yeah. perspective have what you would call kind of customer focused outcomes. So they're really, really strongly guiding 
the business and the uh, the product strategy of those organizations and something that we're, we're really trying to do at the moment is make sure that those outcomes or those measures are embedded into the way that at least software is delivered um, across the business as well um because at the moment we've got to make sure that got to make sure that it's obviously customer focused but it's got to be a yeah. viable proposition and it's got to yep. be feasible to deliver something as well so it's kind of an, in that that mix of <coughs> uh yeah in that mix of uh the, was it the trifecta the desirable viable and feasible <laughs> absolutely i can remember i can remember yeah <laughs> so dave let's 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 roll roll back a little bit um where did your journey start did you go to university i did but i'd say my journey with design started before that actually um okay. so when i was at when i was at school um so i had a really great design and technology teacher called mr shepherd and he was an absolute taskmaster but he got me to appreciate the value of just creativity, I think, um, and really working with my hands a lot more. So I remember my GCSE and A-level projects there. Um, actually, it's more my A-level. Um, I had a real passion for Apple products before kind of the iPhone was a thing, obviously. And I actually designed the, well, I think it was the first time that it was, was done. It obviously wasn't, but uh, <laughs> a, a watch for Apple. <laughs> I called it iTime. Um, and uh, there was another thing that, that I designed, like a light or a lamp or something, and got got to actually show off the prototype at uh, an, uh, an Audi showroom, I think, as part of like a young designer's um, mm -hmm. kind of showcase. But I really got a passion there for the creativity element of it. But what I hadn't honed yet was an understanding of the problems, uh, like really finding the right problem to solve for. That really came at university. So after my A-levels, I went to art college, which was a way of hanging out with my mates for a year and uh, spending a lot more time in the pub and, you know, making music and, and things like that. Um, but I did get a, a really good appreciation of, um, I did a found, we did a foundation kind of a degree in art and design. And I got appreciation of lots of other things like film and media, photography, um, including a bit of textiles and fashion and, and things like that. Um, and it allowed me to explore other parts of design before I, I then kind of really focused on uh, my degree, which was in product design engineering. So it started off, um, it was an interesting one because I was like, I want to make something that works. So I went to University of Sussex. They had a really good kind of um, aeronautics and engineering team there, but the design course was actually quite new and, and immature. It had only been going for like two or three years. So we were kind of tacked on to lots of different other courses like you know ended up doing like advanced maths courses and stuff which mm -hmm. I, I'm not good at okay I'm not good at that at all I've really struggled um we got tacked on to like uh some CAD modeling kind of classes with um with IT grads and or undergrads and if, if there was one class I was really looking forward to because it was called the principles of design and I was like oh we're going to learn everything about like you know beta rams and 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 all these like famous design schools but it wasn't that at all it was how to design an internal combustion engine for a car <laughs> like, <laughs> and pretty much the only thing I remember from that class was um the lecturer um, he had this like grand plan to show the difference between petrol and diesel and he had he smothered one hand in petrol and smothered one hand in diesel and lit the hand which he thought was diesel and it it shouldn't light because it, it needs to be compressed but oh he got no. mixed up and he set his hand on fire 
Oh no. <laughs> but anyway, after a couple of years, um, a few of us were like, this isn't really what we signed up for. But we managed to lobby for uh, and got like a, some new lecturers in from the Royal College of Art. And that got someone in called um, uh, Rob Phillips, who was absolutely fantastic. Like he really helped me understand like how quickly you need to prototype something. The, the real importance of finding the right problem to solve for, the importance of actually speaking to people to understand what their issues are and what we call kind of ethnography or observational research. So I decided to spend lots of time with older people because my nan at the time was um, she had arthritis and struggled with lots of different things around the house, like particularly turning dials and keys and things like that. Um, so I combined kind of, you know, it's a good excuse to go and see my nan and get some nice biscuits and tea, take some photos of her struggling with stuff and some of her friends um, and then actually design something that could potentially help. So wow. um, so after lots and lots of prototypes, like my Rob, my tutor was like, OK, you've done one prototype. Like, do, where's the next one? I was like, I'll do another one next week, probably. And he's like, no, do it now so that you can test it tomorrow. Come back and tell me what you've learned. So involved lots of lots of that like yeah. building something rough and ready out of cardboard or um you know a different type of foam or something like that like like um like you used to get this foam that you kind of carve out shapes from and basically see what happened with it um in the end um i, I worked with a, a smart material um which was just starting out at the time called sugru you might see it in b and q now um but it's like a it's like, like a moldable plastic so it feels like play-doh to start off with but then it it kind of dries into a into a plastic or a rubber um so it's really good for fixing stuff but it allowed me to customize these grips um for for older people uh on and make you know they, they didn't need to buy anything new um and they had this like nice kind of um yeah. ni a nice product that that mm. is like all about inclusive design making sure that it didn't feel like um something you might see in occupational health or something like that it didn't look like it was someone who had for someone who had a disability um it just looked like something you know a nice little gadget or desirable mm. item around the house after that though that I've you know graduated straight into the recession um so uh, in 2008 so that was a nice fun time um and the only job that I got offered um as a designer was to design bins for kids playgrounds in the shape of hippos and other animals in Blackpool for nine grand a year something like that um so I thought I'm gonna stay at home for a bit longer and ride this ride this out um and I actually went into uh I you know by that point I had to do lots of presentation skills and things like that so I'd mastered um a fair bit of like graphics and layout design yeah, and and so I went to work for a local magazine publisher in the tr in the, the building trade so we had you know really exciting titles like global cement magazine global gypsum um and one of them had a, an insert which was global slag uh, which came out once every quarter uh, being the uh, the waste material that comes off cement production oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um and so the recession had kind of did me a favor because we were all forced down to four day working weeks I had to take a 20 percent cut in pay um and using that extra day i decided to volunteer uh, or sort of in half volunteer half intern at some local design agencies um to to try and get an understanding of you know how do i get into this industry after about a year of that um i got my first job as a usability researcher um so that involved 
looking at basically sitting with the users of websites and understanding where they find things easy and difficult and then designing better ways of, of doing it or working with a design team to actually kind of do that. So that was my real, that's my first proper research job um, and really focused on things like in the finance industry, um, lots of websites for things like Barclays and um, uh, did loads of projects for like Aviva and, and things like that. Lots of insurance kind of forms. What's the best way of getting people a quote um, and, and that kind of stuff. So it's all um, about user experience. Yeah, all about user experience. Yeah. Um, and really making sure that things are not only simple to use, but they actually kind of had a, a useful business benefit as well. So like, you know, if you make things easier to use, people are more likely to buy the thing that you're trying to sell them, or they're more likely to complete a form without errors, yeah. which is going to take away some cost later on. Um, so I did that for a few years um, and then kind of went into something called service design, um, which was, it's, it's effectively, if you think about mapping a customer journey, like what good looks like, Service design is the design of the business in the back end to make sure that those customer experiences are actually possible. So that involves, you know, working with lots of technology teams or data risk, all the different parts of a, a business that can that facilitate, you know, customer experiences actually coming to life. Um, all the kind of the nuts and bolts behind the scenes, essentially. Yeah. So again, I did that for a while, um, and then headed up a. Um, an innovation, well, I headed up the research team in an innovation group, um, which had a big partnership with AstraZeneca. Um, so they were running out of, their drugs were running out of copyright and they needed some digital business models all of a sudden. So we did these huge kind of like innovation sprints um, and long story short, like, you know, they were very patient centric, but also scientific practitioner centric as well. So um, we did everything from redesigning the clinical trials experience, which hadn't been touched in 140 years, to um, designing kind of diabetes interventions for China. Um, and, you know, uh, almost like conference apps uh, for, for medical practitioners, like to be able to, at the time, it was quite um, innovative being able to mark up slides um, on an iPad that if they're being presented on a screen, get them on your iPad, you can mark them up and then take them away for your team later on. So there were lots of kind of things like that. Um, I then um, went freelance for about six, seven years um, doing a mixture of research, innovation, consulting, service design. Um, and then when my first daughter, when my daughter was born, um, I took a, oh, I, I kind of I took my next perm role, um, my first leadership role, really, as a head of service design at Barclays. Um, so did that for a while and then kind of went into service design and uh, just general kind of like design leadership. So I had a brief stint at Frog UK, um, a big design agency, part of Capgemini, and then into HSBC, which is where I met you when you had long hair. Yeah. Well, we both mm -hmm. had long hair, absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and at HSBC kind of spent three years in the part of the customer experience design team there, um, partly building it up um, and making it kind of a, a really useful proposition for the business um, and obviously finishing it, having kind of, you know, um, led the design academy side of things there as well. So that takes us all the way through that 15 year journey. It's hardly brief, but um, <laughs> but kind of but you can kind of see the journey. Most evident is like, so you've you've gone from studying design and you've followed that path all the way to where you are now, right? You've, yeah. you've maybe been in some design uh, companies, but those skills you've got are so transferable. 
hence why you've worked in the finance and energy sectors right because those companies have customers and they need people to come in and design services and products that are the right things for their customers yeah. um so it completely makes sense and 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 dave if we if we move on to like the 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 skills that are needed for um a, a role in design what are the sort of things you do you, you need in terms of skills i think it's more on the softer skills so if you're a good listener if you can by and by being a good listener i've been an active listener so really not just hearing what people are saying but really listening deeply to what they're saying why they're saying it um and what they really mean um i think that's a really key skill the other one is asking good questions as well mm. too often we see people asking very leading questions i'd say so often with like you know you think that's a good idea right um instead of what would you like to see here for example or mm. yeah you, you know what i mean like you, know, you don't want to shut down conversations you want to open them up you want to elicit stories from people because that's where the that's where the richness really is yeah that's where you get your golden nugget right when you yeah. uh really understand what the pain point is of an individual yeah um okay yeah, makes definitely. sense makes sense and and, 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 and Dave, I'm not, I'm not, oh, sorry on, um, i was just gonna say like that's that's one of the key skills i think the other ones are definitely like being able to tap into your creativity so not everyone is an artist right but everyone can be creative yes and designers typically over index on the creative scale for sure um but you've also got to have the discipline to continuously be creative as well i think another key skill related to that is to be able to take criticism or you know take negative feedback very well um i've seen lots of designers in the past like fall in love with their first idea and then you know if it doesn't work out they can really feel that um and it's up to you to kind of you know go what do people like and what do people not like about it mm. let's figure out a better way of doing it and i think a, a final one that i'd add in there is the ability to collaborate um so whether you're setting up a project that you need other people's input into or whether you're going and seeking feedback or you know being asked to join a team the ability to work with others um in a really effective way i think it's, it's a good differentiator from a design perspective as well I think especially from the service design perspective, right? You, you've got so many stakeholders um, and you, obviously you've got risk, you've got the business, you need to keep everyone happy, right? So um, yeah. having those conversations on a regular basis is, is really important when, when you work in design. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the best designers that I see are the ones that can also talk the language of the business. So yeah. I've, over the over the years, I've found working in design teams, you tend to um, isolate yourself or you, you tend to not get taken as seriously. If you're all you're doing is going, oh, but this is better for customers. Oh, that's better for customers. If you can't then turn that into a meaningful business, kind of yeah. understand what other people in the business are actually um what they find important like you know being able to talk to a risk team to say if we do it in this way then actually your job's going to get a lot easier or you know go, approaching a risk team and saying um what income what, what income kind of brackets can we use for this type of mortgage application for example or what income types are can we actually use rather than going we've designed a new process can you just sign it off <clears throat> um it makes you look really naive and and yeah. i think so i think if you can talk the language of the business that makes a lot more uh, make makes it a lot better. And 
throughout your time, obviously over 10 years in service design, you've had a, a few stints in financial institutions and energy companies. Um, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned? Um, it's the importance of consistency. I think so you and I are both fans of the high performance podcast and it kind of ties mm. into um, the world class basics um, kind of element here. Um, and I'd say like the difference between good and great is not doing above average. It's not kind of doing above average things or performing above average every now and again. It's doing average things, but with above average consistency. So I like it. So regardless of uh, I've learned this the hard way, right? <laughs> so um, I've spent a lot of my career in like, you know, I've done fits and bursts of like really amazing stuff. But then, you know, by my own admission, like I would procrastinate or I would drop the ball. I hadn't kind of delivered something on time or when I said I would do it. But I always thought like, oh, I'm going to be all right because I can do these other really great things along the way. But over the last couple of years, really worked and worked hard to, to figure out like, you know, like how can I just how can I avoid that, that happening? And I think regardless of the industry that you're in, it's got to be about consistency. It's got to be about discipline. Most of the time, it's just about showing up um, and yeah. doing the best that you can every day. Um, and I think that another key lesson that I've learned, both in personal and business perspective, is your life will become a lot more easier um, if you just assume that everyone is doing the best that they can all the time. So if you get irked or kind of annoyed by, um, you know, whether it's someone's being slow in replying to you or, you know, they've said something in a certain way that you didn't like, if you just assume that they're doing the best that they can with the resources and the skills that they have in that moment, um, then life will become so much easier. You will stop second guessing people or like, are they trying to annoy me? Like, it doesn't really matter. Like they're, they're doing the best that they can. So let's work with them to figure out uh, how we can get over a particular problem along the Be way. Collaborative. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, being in a, in a, in a recruitment firm like Sandbrook, um, I think having that, having that kind of people um, lens turned yes. on all the time um, will, will absolutely kind of make it, make your life easier for sure. But I suppose that on the thinking about kind of the businesses that I've been in and the land, the point of design, I suppose, is that like huge lessons that the businesses themselves have learned along the way is that when you ignore the customer, they they just won't use it right there's a there's a great quote it's like if you if you ignore the customer the customer ignores you so um there was a a, a great example of this i think in hsbc when we were working there and the very start of what is now kind of the global wallet proposition um mm. you know sending money internationally and, and stuff like that very very low cost was there was this, the technology team was like it has to be an app like we're worried about revolute for business we're worried about transfer wise we have to build an app to compete and all it took was kind of a couple of people to be convinced that we should spend you know maybe two weeks out in singapore speaking to actual customers who might end up using this type of product that they said i love the idea i would love to be able to trade internationally at cheap rates that sounds awesome but for the love of god do not build another app for me because i've already got the one that you've you've Simon, yeah, yeah. I've already got this other one. I've got loads of other banks. Um, so just don't build another app just to send money. Um, so thankfully that changed the whole approach, like the whole strategy and the technology strategy behind that product. And you see it time and time again. Um, 
in in much more kind of prominent situations as well. So I think like uh, who was it? Apple uh, with Apple, uh, one of their senior executives who was who ran the Genius Bar. Like he actually came up with the Genius Bar concept, and uh, he was poached by J.C. Penney, uh, the American retailer. Um, he went in there and said, "Guys, don't worry about it. I know what customers want. We're going to build our own kind of like Apple." experience in jc penny they spent millions and millions kind of revamping the stores taking away um like vouchers and things like that, that that had been there for a long time like there was a kind of a core part of the jc penny shopping experience um installed like cappuccino bars wouldn't making it a destination and it flopped like because customers that 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 type of customer they loved the the vouchers because they liked hunting for budgets or hunting for deals they didn't want to hang up. They, they wanted to spend their time finding those deals. They didn't want to be hanging out in cappuccino bars in in, in their shops. And it, he lost the money. He lost the company so much money. He ruined his own career, lost his job, all because he just didn't listen to customers. So there's all these cautionary tales out there. And I think, you know, as long as you put the customers at the heart or the end user at the heart of what you're doing, then you can't really go wrong. Do you think, um, in your opinion, that the these large organizations within this this focus on finance energy are getting better um at focusing on customer in my time at hsbc i definitely saw that there was an improvement there's definitely a, a an improvement there i think it depends right it depends where you are and what what other things are going on in the business at the time mm. i think there are like businesses get a bit you know impulsive i'd say sometimes like a few years ago customer centricity was at the forefront of everything and it still should be for sure but as soon as things like generative ai comes in and like you know, people saying you know oh, maybe you, you kind of get these like little brain worms in executives going maybe i don't need as big a design team as i used to because now i've got firefly or chat gpt or mid journey to you know maybe <laughs> i could kind of create stuff using that <laughs> um, so I think they kind of get these these impulsive quirks along the way. It, as a trend, though, I would say, yes, they are getting more customer centric because you see yeah. the emergence of things like chief design officers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I know like you know, teams will get affected by redundancies and cuts and reorgs all the time. Um, and I think the challenge for desi any design team is to figure out where in the business it can be most effective because I've been in parts where you know the it's part of uh, the propositions team, for example, and that's that feels really good as a designer because it's like oh we can actually shape what gets put out there into the world, but you also don't get anywhere close to touching the technology side of it and actually what what it looks like. At the other end of it, you could be really close to technology, and you kind of get told what to build, and that can be frustrating <clears throat> for design teams. There's also kind of like the structure of those teams within the business as well. So if it's that the best way to do it would be to partner with product i'd say like if you can get close to product and or engineering that's a good place for design to be but it's also how you partner with the business as well so if you've got a centralized team then that feels quite good because it it's like it's a center of excellence and everyone feels part of a family but then you never get teams really embedded within the, within the business on the flip of it um, if they're only embedded in the business, then they don't have a community of practice to come back to. So somewhere in the middle, what you'd call like a shared partnership model, where you've got a little, a small center of excellence or a bench, essentially like to kind of hold, fort, hold down the fort, 
while the main part of your design team kind of goes off and partners with project teams uh, is probably the best model that I've seen so far. Um, but yeah, I think in financial services, I was actually speaking to a bank the other day and they've done a really good job of embedding customer experience metrics into their scorecards, um, which makes a huge difference to how you would actually approach delivering a product or a service because it's not just about the the business outcomes it's not just about the technology stuff you've got satisfaction and um, mm. and, and meaningful customer metrics really baked in that from the start so is, is that um, is that nps scores um so nps would be part of it but there's also you know customer index able, yeah there's there's a whole range of measures <clears> that you could use so it could be like you know system usability scores um okay it could be down to complaints like a reduction in complaints as a, as a key measure. Um, it really depends what you're trying to get out of it. Like NPS is, a, is okay. Um, I think like if you've got something like we had at HSBC, where it's a really all-encompassing like net promoter system, that works where you've got um, what we'd call leading and lagging indicators. Um, but if you're just going on, would you recommend us to your friend or your dog or whatever, yeah, then, yeah. then that's much less meaningful. Interesting. Is that, I mean, it's a whole new new world, right? Yeah, to some yeah, people, absolutely. design is just not something you talk about much, but it's so important for so many businesses if they want to continue to be successful and deliver for their customers. Because ultimately, yeah. that's the most important thing, right? You're there to deliver a product or a service for a customer base. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, so one of our previous bosses was saying, um, like, the, just just the impact of talking to customers and understanding their challenges is. A huge part of, of the design process. I think this particular person was saying that uh, they used to work for a private wealth bank in um, in Switzerland, and they, they've seen their kind of customer base like or satisfaction certainly like falling off a cliff. One of the small things they did was just talk to people, and or, and they observed that very wealthy people also have small dogs that they take everywhere with them. They like their children, and understanding this meant that they took away their no dog policy in the branches and put in um, platinum dog bowls and satisfaction wow. scores and deposits really went up yeah um so it's just really simple things sometimes that can make a big difference really interesting dave was, uh, we've got a bit of a closing tradition here i want you to if you could name someone within your network who's really inspired you and explain why i will always say nina belk they so, uh b-e-l-k they so, nina was my first, I'd say, proper manager when I entered the world of research. Um, she was an entrepreneur before she joined the company that I was at, but her approach to people management and actually kind of helping teams really hone a craft was amazing. Like, and that I, I modeled kind of my style of leadership on what she gave, gave to me as well. So instead of uh, a really tangible example is when we were writing research reports, um, she would always kind of like let me go f like once I was you know, okay at it she would say okay you do the first draft and then I'm going to come sit down literally next to you and we're going to walk through it together and then but that she would then ask me like how can we tighten that up how can how can we make that sharper and so she wouldn't tell me the answer which I still have a tendency to do um, <laughs> she would coach me into kind of finding those answers for myself um, and she was also just a great laugh, to be honest. <laughs> um, shout out to Nina then. Thanks, Nina. Yeah, shout out to Nina. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, look, thank you, Dave. Uh, I really appreciate you talking us through design and telling us about your experience and and the roles that you've you've worked. So, really appreciate your time. Um, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, uh, what's the best way? Uh, best place would probably be LinkedIn. So it's just nice. LinkedIn.com/slash/DavidStevensDesign. Lovely. Well, thank you, Dave, and we'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Jack. Thanks thank for you. Me.